Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So, as I said, the title of my message today is Hope Grows Here. Where does hope grow? It grows by the empty tomb. We've talked a lot about hope in the last six months here. And so you guys are pretty familiar with the concept. You're pretty versed in the idea of what hope is. In fact, if I was to ask most of you what hope is, you probably would, most of you give me the same answer. And that is that hope is expectation of something good in the future. Hope is expectation of something good in the future. It's not wishful thinking the way that we use it in our modern English. We say things like, I hope this would happen, I hope that would happen, and really just what we're saying is, I wish, right? I hope it win the lottery. Hope the Panthers win the Super Bowl. I wish, right? Hope the Redskins win the Super Bowl. (laughs) That's a big wish. That might use all three wishes of the genie, right? I really don't hate the Redskins. I'm just having fun picking on them. Hope is an expectation of something good in the future that we lay hold of right now. It's an expectation. I hope the sun is going to come up tomorrow. That is, I expect the sun to come up tomorrow, right? I hope Jesus will forgive me. What is that? That's an expectation. I know he will. I expect him to. Why? Because he said so. I hope God loves me. I was, I was listening this week to um, my, one of my favorite preachers, and I, he was doing a series on the love of God. He did a three-part series, and it was like three hours long. I listened to all three parts in the same day and just got floored by the love of God. If you only knew how much God loves you, if you only understood how much Jesus absolutely, passionately, without boundaries, without reservation, absolutely loves you to your core, mess and all, loves you. And as I was listening to it, I, I was thinking about the, the, you know, the classic storybook character. You've seen it a hundred times. The, you know, the, the girl, the princess sitting with the flower petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. You never have to, he loves me not when it comes to God. Never. He loves you so much. So, If I'm expecting God's love to work in my life, if I'm having hope in his love, what does it look like? Let me ask you this question. Why can you have a hope in God that he has a plan for your future? Because again, hope is an expectation. It's it's future-oriented. I'm expecting God to come through for me. And the Bible tells me that Jesus, that God has a plan for my life, that he doesn't just leave me like an orphan. He doesn't just, you know, save me and then pat me on the head and say, good luck with life. See you when you get to heaven. He actually has good things in store for my life. He's actually given me a calling. He's given me a purpose to live. He's given me a reason to be here. So how is it that we get to actually have hope in that or expectation in that? The reason we can have hope that God has a plan for us is because on the third day, Jesus' tomb was vacated. 
I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but the resurrection is the key to everything. Right? I'm going to get to that in a second. The resurrection of Jesus is so incredibly important to Christianity because it's what validates the gospel. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he said that he is. The resurrection is the validator. It's the proof that everything Jesus said about himself is actually true. And you don't, you don't even have to go to the Bible to find out that he rose from the dead. There's historical evidence that points to it all over the place. It's the most profound miracle in the history of humanity that Jesus rose from the dead. Last time I checked, people don't rise from the dead, especially not after three days. How many three-day dead people you know came back? You know, funeral's over, everybody's done, we're all going home, getting ready to eat, you know, and it's like, oh, hey, Uncle Henry, thought you were dead. <laughs> what are you doing? You're creeping me out, man. What are you doing? How, how often does that happen? It doesn't, right? See, death to the human being is so final. Death to humanity is so final. That's why it grieves us in such an intense way when somebody dies. Because there's a finality to it. Because from the natural, through the natural lens that we live in, in this natural world, you don't get to overcome death. It just doesn't happen. It's final. But how many of you know the Bible says with God all things are possible? So even death has got to work in reverse when Jesus gets involved. You know, it was pretty final when Lazarus died, wasn't it? Well, it seemed like it was. Till Jesus got to town. And then he turned and looked at Mary and Martha and he said, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he was dead, he gets to live again. Come on. Death's real final if all you got's you. But if you're on God's team, if you're in the household of faith, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you got a reason that to, to call heaven your eternal home, death is anything but final. Come on. Well, that's tweetable, Frankie. Death is anything but final. Yes, Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The cross is proof that God had a plan to rescue you. The cross is proof that God had a plan to rescue you. The empty tomb was proof yes, that his plan worked. The empty tomb was proof that his plan worked. Jesus is so interesting to me. Jesus made so many, if you read through the Gospels, he alluded to his resurrection so many times that it almost makes you kind of wonder what the disciples were thinking after he died. Because they were all holed up in a house afraid that they were going to die next. They were scared, man. And I mean, I guess if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be pretty scared too. If I watched a bunch of Romans just absolutely massacre the, the one guy that I've been following for the past three years, the one that I look to. I mean, can you imagine what went through Peter and James and John and all these guys' heads? They saw Jesus walk on water. Think about that. They watched Jesus feed 5,000 people with Five loaves and two fish. 
They watch Jesus take a little kid's tuna sandwich and feed like thousands of people with it. They watch Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They watch Jesus heal countless paralytic people and and, uh, leprous people. They watch Jesus heal the woman with the issue of blood. They watch Jesus. I mean, they just were around Jesus all the time. And every day is some new adventure in God when you're with Jesus. He'd just walk through town and he'd preach to 20,000 people and then he'd turn around and he'd heal a bunch of people. And then, and then they would bring all people to him. All kinds of folks would come and they would stand before Jesus and he would just say, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed. And every one of them gets healed. Man, Jesus had a 100% success rate. 100%. Not one person that came to Jesus looking for healing didn't get it. 100% success rate. They would watch Jesus go and be with the Father on the mountaintop. They would watch Jesus disappear and pull back from the crowd and and go hide up in a mountaintop to pray and be with the Lord. They were around him all the time. They watched him do amazing things. And then they watched him get massacred by some soldiers and hung on the cross. They watched him die. What do you think was going through there? I believe that's why he made the point to allude to his resurrection over and over again while he was still here. I mean, he told everybody. He told the disciples, told the Pharisees, he told the multitude, he told Mary and Martha, he told everybody, destroy this temple in three days and I'm going to raise it back up again. He said, no man man takes my life. I give it as a ransom. I'm coming back. He said it over and over and over again to help them through their dark moment because he knew it was going to be dark for them. He knew they were going to hide out in the upper room. Could we say that resurrection was an important concept to Jesus? I think so, can't we? It's such an important concept, not just to Jesus, but to all of us who call Jesus Lord of our lives. It was an important concept to the Apostle Paul as well. In fact, he takes an entire chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians to write about resurrection and why it's so important. I want to walk you through sections of that chapter this morning. And uh, I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible this morning. And here's what I want you to do. Because I'm reading from the Message Bible and because most of us probably don't carry a Message Bible with us, I don't even want you to turn to the Scriptures. I just want you to sit and listen to this, okay? I don't want you to do any Bible homework this morning. I just want you to sit and listen and absorb what we're getting ready to read. Because if you'll absorb this, if you'll get this, I promise you it'll change everything about your life. I'm not joking. It will change everything about your life. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 15 in the Message Bible, verse 12, says this. Now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted in the proclamation that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you smoke and mirrors. And everything you've stated your life on is smoke and mirrors. 
Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised Jesus up, sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. Watch this statement. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. You know, Paul's doing something right here that a lot of lawyers do. They prove a point by, by talking about the antithesis of that point. They, 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 they seek to help paint a picture in the mind of the person that's hearing by talking about what something isn't in order to prove what it is. That's what Paul's doing here. He's really strategic when he writes. How I many of you know the Bible doesn't waste words? If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up in first, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemetery. <laughs> Woo. This is my first point for you this morning. He says here, and this is why I love the Message Bible, it just breaks it down into such relatable language. He says, and face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. That is such a heavy statement. That's such a rich, heavy-laden statement, okay? Paul is making this massive statement and subsequent claim here. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nothing we believe in Christianity is true. Nothing. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. There is no halfway. You can't be in one camp and, and you know, have one foot in this idea and have one foot in this idea. That just doesn't work. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, nothing about Christianity is true. Think about how risky it is for a guy like Paul to write about this. He's writing to a group of people that in their culture at that time, nobody believed Jesus raised from the dead. Sounds like our culture in our time, doesn't it? I was just reading a statistic my pastor friend, Pastor West, sent to me a statistic in an article that, did you, that for the first time in our nation's history, less than the majority of people identify as church-going Christians. For the first time in the history of the United States of America, only 49% of people say that they go to church and participate in church. There's a thousand different reasons. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but... There's a thousand different reasons why that is the case. But here's the reality. Sometimes it takes making a gutsy statement like if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, everything about Christianity is false. Sometimes it takes making a gutsy statement like that to prove the point that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. Amen. He places, Paul places 100% of the burden of Christianity on the resurrection of Jesus. Literally everything that we believe to be true is tied to this prime reality. 
that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was dead and he's not dead anymore. 100% of what we believe is rooted in that reality. I mean everything, the authority of the Bible, the power of the gospel. You want to pray and ask God to heal you? You don't get to do that if you don't believe Jesus is risen from the dead. It doesn't work if he didn't rise from the dead. You want to ask God for peace in your mind or or sanctity in your marriage? You want to ask God for help in your children? You don't get to do any of that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. It doesn't work without that. You follow me? Everything we believe is tied to this reality. So much so that Paul said, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. Now let me continue reading from verse 35 down through verse 38. Watch this. Some skeptic is sure to ask. I I just love the way Eugene Peterson wrote the message by. It's just so good. Some skeptic is sure to ask. Show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, and soon there's a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes up from it will be dramatically different. The skeptic says, show me how resurrection works. Give me the diagram. Draw me the picture. Spell it out for me. What is the point that Paul is making here? The point that Paul is making is that at some point in each one of our lives, we're going to be required to have some faith. We're going to be required to have some faith. My dad quoted it during, during the offering and during that time of testimony. He quoted Hebrews 11, chapter, verse 6, which says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because the one who believes in God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Skeptics always struggle with the mechanics of supernatural things. Because it doesn't fit in our box, right? Again, dead people don't come back to life. Our little box says that when you die, that's it. But God doesn't live in our little box. Come on, y'all don't believe me when I say that. God doesn't live in our little box. He's so much bigger than our little box. He created the wood that we use to make our little box. So he just, he's not bound by time and space and history and your opinion and my opinion and, you know, this guy's opinion and what the news says and what this professor says and what that theologian says and what this guy said and what my grandmother thought. God's not bound by any of that crap said crap in church on Easter. Can you believe it? He's not bound or limited by any of our reason. He's so much bigger than our reason. And so I can't, I can't boil God down to a, to a mechanism and to, and to a theory and to an equation. I can't squeeze God and 
pack him into a mathematical formula. That's why resurrection just makes skeptics' minds go, like they just don't get it. It's just tilt. Did y'all ever play ping pong? Or not ping pong, uh, what is it? Uh, Badminton? No, no. (laughs) Ah, that was awesome. Pinball, pinball was what I was trying to say. It starts with a P, ping pong, pinball. Did you ever play pinball? Did you ever, sure plays a mean pinball. Okay, if you've ever played pinball and you got the little paddles going, and what happens when the ball gets stuck? The board says what? Tilt. Tilt, in other words, tilt the machine to get the ball moving again. Sometimes when we try to squeeze God into our little theories and into our little equations, our head goes, tilt, stopped moving, I got stuck, I got jammed up, I can't figure this thing out. What do I got to do? Tilt the board, start over, get the ball moving again. The skeptic wants a diagram about how resurrection works, but the reality is resurrection doesn't work like that. The reality is, when it comes to supernatural things, when it comes to miracles, I don't have to understand how it happened in order to believe that it happened. (laughs) Come on, at some point, this life is going to require some faith out of you and out of me. I don't have to understand how it happened to believe that it did. Glory to God. Jesus is alive He's alive. He died. Thousands of people saw him dead. And thousands of people saw him alive again. I'm not just talking about what the Bible teaches. The Bible's very explicit and describes all the stuff about all the surrounding evidence around Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But also history does. Skeptics saw him die and then saw him alive again 40 days later. You can have faith in Jesus today. Because the resurrection proves that he is God. Let me read you this last passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all doing okay? Everybody doing okay still? Okay. Just listen to this. This is amazing. But let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You'll hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look your eyes up and blink, it's over. On signal from that trumpet in heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, Who's afraid of you now? Who got the last word? Hey, death. Hey, death, come here. Come here. Who got the last word? You or Jesus? 
Hey, death, death, don't walk away. I'm talking to you. Death, who's afraid of you now? Who? Was it Jesus who rose triumphantly from the grave that proved his godliness, that proved that he was God in the flesh? Last time I checked, death, you lost, bro. You lost. You lost. Death was defeated when Jesus rose up on the third day. Guys, that doesn't happen normally. That's how we know it was a miracle. People struggle with miracles. Can I just take a second on this soapbox here for a second? People struggle with miracles all the time. They struggle to believe in miracles. Do you want to know why it's possible for you to believe in miracles? Because miracles don't happen all day, every day, constantly. Miracles are not constantly going off in your life. There is a normal way to live. There's a normal way that life functions and happens here. And because of that reality, when you see a miracle, you know it's a miracle because it happened differently than it normally happens. You follow that logic? The reason you can trust in and believe in miracles is because when you see one, you go, hmm, that's different. (laughs) Dead people are not supposed to come back to life. That guy in a body cast is now walking for some reason. That's not supposed to happen. Cancer is not supposed to just dry up. Eight stomach bleeding ulcers are not supposed to just stop and and be gone all of a sudden. How can you believe in the miraculous? It's because you see what normal life looks like all the time. So when a miracle comes, you go, oh my gosh, how did that happen? And if you'll let yourself be unskeptical for just long enough, God will meet you right where you're at. If you'll let yourself just believe for just a half a second, God will meet you right in that half a second and show himself strong to you. Glory to God. Hey, death, who's afraid of you now, you little punk? Who's afraid of you now? Come on, bro, put up your dukes. It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. Watch this, watch this, this is so good. Now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thank God. This resurrection that we celebrate on Easter, this earth-shaking reality is, I love the way the Message Bible puts it, it is a single victorious stroke of life. (laughs) It's a single victorious stroke of life. In this marvelous reality of Jesus' resurrection, There is a promise to you and to me. It's the promise of hope. It's the promise that we can have something amazing to look forward to in the future and that we can experience it today. Because Jesus is alive and conquered death, even death is no longer a barrier. The Bible says that when we die, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. If Jesus has been made your Lord this morning, if you've submitted your life to Christ, not only is Jesus not afraid of death, neither are you. Amen. Man, I don't want to die this afternoon. 
Do you? No, of course not. But am I afraid to? No. No, I'm not afraid to. Because to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. I've said this. My wife has heard me say this before. I'm sure my kids have heard me say it too. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, when life gets really bad, okay? When life gets really bad, you're out of money, you just got fired from your job, you know, your kids think you're terrible. I don't know, whatever. Just when, when life is really bad, your dog died, you know, something awful. When life is at its worst, I love to remind myself, what's the worst that could happen? All this stuff has seemed to go bad in my life and things aren't lining up right now. I'm having a rough day. What is the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is I die. And I'm immediately face-to-face with Jesus. That's the worst that can happen to you. You understand how victorious your life is? That even on your worst day, you still missed hell. Even on your worst day, you still get to go face-to-face with Jesus. The moment that you die, the moment whenever that day comes, and everybody's got a time, right? The moment that that time comes, where am I? Face-to-face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords to usher into and spend eternity with all of him. Glory to God. I want to tell you something. This life, the shortest thing you're ever going to do. Just remember it when it gets difficult. When life gets tough and you don't know how you can go on, I just can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Just remind yourself, this is the shortest thing you're ever going to do. Because death doesn't work for you the way it works for everybody else because we've put our trust in Jesus. This is the promise of hope. If death couldn't stop Jesus from living, then sin can't stop Jesus from saving you. I want you to think about that for a second. If death itself wasn't strong enough to keep Jesus dead, then sin isn't strong enough to keep your life bound. If death itself was not strong enough to hold Jesus down, death did not pin Jesus down and say, I got you, you ain't going anywhere. It tried for three days. Three days. Death pinned Jesus down for three days. Not because he wasn't strong enough, but because for those three days he was busy. He was busy. For those three days, Jesus went to hell. And when he got to hell, he announced to everybody there, I'm the one in charge now. I've got the authority. The Bible says he snatched the keys to death, hell, and the grave from the enemy. And then the Bible says that he went and preached the gospel to those saints who had died, people like Abraham and Moses and David and and Jonah and Enoch and all these people from the Old Testament who had died in faith. Jesus went and preached the gospel to them. Says, guess what, guys? I've been busy up there on planet Earth. I've been busy. I died on the cross totally caught the devil off guard. He thought he was killing me. He thought he was wiping me out. Little did he know I was going to come to hell, kick him in his teeth, take his keys, snatch up all the authority, and now here I am to preach to you. And guess what? I'm getting ready to raise up from the dead. And then when, when Sunday came, G- Jesus said, Lord, what do you think? Is this about time? God said, yeah, it's time. Boom, he came up out of the grave. 
It was not a struggle, y'all. It wasn't this power struggle. Oh, three days, Jesus and the devil are duking it out. to Give me a break. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It was no contest. Jesus came out of the grave completely triumphant. And if death couldn't hold him down, then sin can't hold you down. Sin can't hold your life ransom. That if you put your trust in Jesus, the same victory that Jesus had over death is the same victory that you have over sin, over sickness, over disease, over fear, over depression, over strife. Death wasn't powerful enough to keep Jesus down. Sin and guilt aren't powerful enough to keep him from giving you a hope, to keep him from giving you a future. I know for a fact that as I'm talking about this, it's hitting your heart. I know. I've been doing this long enough to know. That when we talk about the word of God, it does something on the inside. How many of you could testify, say, yeah, my insides feel different right now. Something about this is drawing me. Something about this is stirring up stuff in me. It's like, you, Pastor Josh, it's like you took a spoon and just started stirring up my soup. And all the stuff that's down here is coming up to the top. See, the message of the gospel stirs the pot of your heart. It stirs things around. And you start to go, wait a minute, I've got to reconsider some stuff. Man, maybe I, had some, maybe I had some opinions about Jesus, and now this stirring is starting to change my opinion. <laughs> you see, you and I, we get the opportunity to trust in Jesus. It's not a one-time decision. I mean, it's a decision that happens in time. It's something that you make the decision to do. But then after you make the decision, it's another decision tomorrow to trust him again. Yeah. Amen. You get the chance to discover that hope grows by the empty tomb every single day. Every morning, you get to look to Jesus and say, Lord, today I'm trusting you. I put my hope and my faith in you today, Lord. Where does hope grow? Hope grows here. Where is here? Right by the empty tomb. You have a reason to hope because the tomb is empty. If you, we, 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 we proved it from that 1 Corinthians 15 script. Listen, if Jesus' body was still in the grave, if that tomb was still full, there wouldn't be a reason to hope. But because it's empty, hope springs up in our heart. Hope blooms right by the empty tomb. Where does hope grow? It grows right here. It grows right here. He left the tomb so that he could live in your heart. He vacated this tomb so that he could take up residence in this tomb and make it not a tomb anymore. He turned your tomb into a temple. Paul says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that Christ lives in you? You see, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, he left this earthly empty tomb so that he could take the tomb of your heart and turn it into the temple where he lives. Where does hope grow? Hope grows here. I got a hope in Jesus. I got a hope because the tomb is empty.
This is the best part of the service, by the way. Best part. It's the part I look forward to every Sunday. This is the part of the service where you get to make it personal. We sang, we lifted our hands, we worshiped, we felt the presence of God. How many of you feel the presence of God in this church? Aren't you glad you go to a church where the presence of God is? I am. I'm glad. This is the part where we get to act on what we've heard. This is the part where we get to get our business straight with God. This is the part where we're given an opportunity to make it personal with Jesus. This is the part where you get a reason to hope. Amen. I'm not up here carrying on and sweating for my own benefit. It would have been easier for me to go play golf this morning somewhere. But I'm here to to tell you and to share with you the blessed, glorious news of the resurrection of Jesus. There is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. You can, listen, you can do it. You can, you can go see that tomb today. You can get on a plane, put on your mask, get on a plane, pack a bag, and fly over to Israel and land in Jerusalem and go drive to the place where the tomb is, and you'll see it. It's there. And above it, somebody etched in the stone, he's no longer here, he has risen. See, that was the words that the angel said when those Roman guards woke up that morning and realized, hey, why is the stone not covering the tomb anymore? Hey, Thaddeus. Thaddeus, wake up. You're snoring. It's sunrise, bro. What's the deal with the tomb? How co- Wasn't that stone covering the tomb last night when we went to sleep? Yeah, Augustus, it was. It's just Roman names, you know. Thaddeus and Augustus. Sounds like a kid's book. <clears throat> what wasn't that wasn't that tomb covered over? Why is that hole gaping? Bro, weren't you supposed to watch the tomb? No, man, I thought you were watching the tomb. No, man, I was getting some shot. I thought you were watching. It was your turn to watch the tomb. What happened? tomb's open. The stone is moved. We're in huge trouble, man. Go check it out. No, man, you go check. I ain't going in there. There's dead people in there. No, man, you go check it out. Come on, go check it out. No, you go check it out. Shut up, man. You do. Okay, fine. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Thaddeus peeked his head in in the tomb, and he saw something over there. He saw this linens that were on Jesus's body, all neatly folded. No more blood. Clean. And then Thaddeus really got a, a surprise when he, ooh, he jumped back because he turned and in the corner there was somebody standing that was dressed in white and really bright. It was an angel. And Thaddeus said, who are you? And the angel turned and looked at him and said, hey, why, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here anymore. He's risen. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being? Could you imagine being Peter and John? 
when they heard that Jesus was risen and they raced each other to get to the tomb. And when they got there, oh my gosh, it was true. The stone was actually moved. Their hearts started to leap for joy because they were so excited because they didn't really believe it at first. And, but then they got there and they saw, hey, he's no longer here. Could you imagine being Mary on her way that morning to bring some olive oil and some spices to anoint his tomb as their custom? And here's Mary walking to the tomb, and she sees the tomb, and the, and the stone's gone. And she turns and she looks, and she sees this guy working on the hedgerow. She, the Bible says she assumed him to be the gardener. And there she sees this guy trimming the hedges. And, and she, she looks into the tomb. She runs in and she says, oh, he's gone. And she thought somebody broke in and stole his body. And Mary turns and she looks to this guy she presumes to be the gardener. And she says, excuse me, sir. Do you know where they have taken him? And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns and looks at her and he calls her by name. Jesus knows your name this morning. He knows your name. He loves you enough to know your name. He loves you enough to know where you are in life. He loves you enough to know your broken heart. He loves you enough to know the broken pieces of your life. He loves you enough to know your name. And he turns and he looks at Mary, and he says, Mary, and the minute he says her name, her eyes are open, and she says, Jesus, and she goes to give him a hug, and he says, Mary, don't touch me yet. I haven't yet ascended to my father and your father. I haven't yet ascended to my God and your God. He said, he said stay there for a second. I'll be back. Could you imagine the joy in these people's hearts when they got to the tomb and found out it was empty. You see, for those three days, they were terrified. But after those three days, they spent the rest of their lives flipping the world upside down because they saw a Savior who died but wasn't dead anymore. Why did Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? And, and why did he preach under the power of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people get saved? It's because he was there. He made it to the tomb and he saw that the tomb was empty. Why was it that Paul, who traveled over the entire world, the entire known world at that time, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Why was it that God could take a guy like Paul and change the world with him? It's because Paul knew. It's because one day on the road to Damascus, Paul saw the risen Savior. Jesus appeared to him and said, I'm not dead anymore, Paul. I'm alive. Why is it that the world could be turned upside down by a group of 12 people? It's because they understood that the tomb was empty. Sin no longer had dominion over them. You can turn the world upside down for Jesus too. You can be a light in your community. You can be a light in your home and your family. You can be a light on your job or in your school. I know I'm taking a little bit extra time here this morning, but it's worth it, amen? 
is worth it. God wants to meet you right where you are. And just like Jesus who saw Mary that day, he knew her name and he knows your name too. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.